Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Total Football Analysis EPL Podcast. We are the Thinking Fans Podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and set heads. We're sponsored by the EPL Prospectus, a 280-page guide of the upcoming season, created by a team of 25-plus writers and designers. Moneyball for football, analytics plus eye candy. Available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Today we are joined by I Got Your Back soccer analyst Harshal Patel. Also on the pod is DJ Taylor, a professional outside back for North Carolina FC and clothing designer. I'm host Chris Mumford, known as the professor. Bella Chow. During week six, we've had a shortage of goals compared to the first five weeks. Leeds scored as many goals as Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Man United combined. Average goals scored returned to a more normal 2.2 per game. The Goliaths put up a game of meh while the Davids are showing their medal. Today we're going to talk a bit about the Champions League with Man United versus PSG, Liverpool versus Ajax, Man City versus Porto, and Chelsea and Sevilla. We then review the Aston Villa Leeds match, Chelsea, Man United, and Liverpool Sheffield. We'll also preview the Man United Arsenal and the Leeds Leicester matches. Harshell, why don't you hit us with the highlights of the Man United PSG game? Yeah, this was uh, basically a return for Solskjaer to the scene of his most famous triumph two years ago, which got him the job permanently, right? Where United beat PSG dramatically 3-1 with a last-minute penalty from Marcus Rashford and went on to the next round and that got him the job permanently. And it it was, I wouldn't say it was a similar sort of performance, but it was a similar template that United set up with. And it's something that Solskjaer has been successful with, which is to sit deep and counter. And he's used that to great effect against um, the the bigger sides or, or teams which uh, keep the ball up, uh, uh, good in possession. And that's worked out really well for him. And it did so in this game as well. If you saw the lineup, uh, United started with a back three. Axel Tuanzebe came into the into the team after a 10-month layoff for his first game. And I thought he... Tuanzebe and Van Bissaka were absolutely superb on that right-hand side of the United defence. I mean, if you can keep up with Kylian Mbappe in a foot race and dispossess him with a tackle, that, that shows that you have the the sort of attributes to be able to play at the top level. And Tuanzebe did that, I think, two or three times. Van Bissaka was also able to get in with tackles and not allow Mbappe space. So United were able to keep that side of things locked down. Uh, you had Fred and McTominay shielding the midfield really well. Um, and, you know, Pogba didn't start. He was on the bench. So it was a very energetic and um, disciplined midfield that started in, in uh, Paris, which is what the the necessity was after, you know, the, the display in the Spurs game where United lost 6-1. So there was a need to bring discipline in, which Ole did. And then you had uh, uh, Marcus Rashford sort of finishing things off at the end with that brilliant goal. And it wasn't even his first chance. There were three or four opportunities on the counter where Rashford could have scored, but the move broke down because the defender came back or he made the wrong choice in terms of passing it, of choosing to pass rather than to take a shot. But uh, I thought the tactics and the 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 way United set up was superb. Uh, and also a mention to Alex Telles, who made his debut for United, played at left wing back in that game with Luke Shaw playing at that left centre-half. 
he was a danger as well his crossing was good and he he looks like a good option for united once he gets up sort of full fitness and begins to start in the premier league so it was a, it was a good uh, good performance by united to to kick off the champions league this season dj what what was your take on the game yeah i agree i think uh, i was impressed with man united and how they defended you know you saw them very disciplined they didn't dive in whenever neymar got the ball or mbappe you know they really just controlled them into their space so that they didn't really have the access to do whatever they wanted to in any space like they usually do but um yeah they were very disciplined i was impressed with alex teres when he came in as left wing back his like he said his crossing was crazy good and he was very dangerous honestly and i was also impressed with wambasaka i know defensively he had it but this game i thought he had some plays where he actually went forward and created stuff in the final third that he usually doesn't do nice very nice well it was a nice win for Man United. Uh, it seemed like it settled things, at least temporarily, in the Man United Twitterverse. So that's a good thing. Um, PSG is left scratching its head, right? I mean, this is uh, <laughs> one. I, I know it's not completely serious, but one has to wonder, is PSG going to be getting out of the group stage uh, for Champions League? Or wouldn't that be ironic? Uh, just weeks later uh, after their... Um, their uh, final appearance. Um, let's ha- let's turn our attention to the next match was the, the Liverpool Ajax game. What did you see out of that, um, Harshal? Um, this was a game where I mean, you could say that this the group actually that Liverpool are in, which is Ajax, Atalanta, and Midtjylland from Denmark, is actually quite an exciting group because these are four teams who all play exciting attacking football. Um, Midtjylland are sort of, I mean, I wouldn't say the pioneers, but they're one of the ones who brought the whole data analytics revolution into the the wider sort of you know scope or the wider uh, view in in football today, where uh, they've they've really done well with regard to using like you know money ball in that yes. sense in in football because of the owner and his sort of philosophy towards doing that and his uh, the way he's been successful with that. Uh, Atlanta obviously super attacking and they've been exciting as well. So this is a group I think where teams need to pick up points early because all four teams I think have a chance of picking up points from each other. So the first group game was really crucial for Liverpool to to you know pick up a win and they did that. But I thought Ajax were I mean I wouldn't say Ajax were poor or that they deserved to lose or something like that. It was a close game and uh, I mean they then they made Liverpool work to get the win they only scored through an own goal which like Nicolas Tagliafico conceded an own goal but it's not like Liverpool created a bucket load of chances the the shots both sides took were sort of evenly matched Liverpool took 16 shots to Ajax's 12 6 shots on target to 5 um and even though Ajax lost one of their most sort of promising attackers who they've signed this season Mohamed Kudus to an injury in early in the first half and, and they made they had to make a sub- substitution it didn't really affect their fluency and that goes to show how well coached they are and that there is an underlying philosophy that runs throughout the club right from sort of the youth sides up to first team level and uh, liverpool did well to get the win but uh, i think ajax will be a good dangerous side in the group and it'll be really interesting to see how this group pa- pans out because atalanta got off to a good start as well so you know it's all to play for in that group with four pretty decent teams Yeah, I was really impressed with how open the game was. Um though I can't say that it was necessarily super high quality. And I, I think it was just more indicative of the fact that they're playing 
uh, football matches every three or four days. Um, I did find um, Liverpool's rotation, <laughs> basically take out the top three, um, yeah, rinse and repeat. Um, the the second three that came in did well, um, didn't necessarily do great, but they did well. And um, sometimes a 1-0 victory, you just take it and run, particularly if you've got uh, the teams um, in the group, as you just mentioned. So um, I found that to be um, uh, a pretty wide open game, but one that I, it it was, I left unsatiated with that. So um, DJ, help us walk through the Man City Porto game. What was your take on that one? Yeah, I think it was a, uh, exciting game to see, obviously, with Man City Porto. I think it was a good game at the end of the day. You see uh, dominant Man City, you know, doing their typical stuff under Pep, but controlling possession and creating attacking chances. I think I was really excited to see Ferran Torres, you know, obviously playing in Valencia. This young young player, he think he did very well. Um, you see Porto with Pepe doing normal Pepe stuff, you know, giving up penalties. Um, crazy guy, you know, you got to stay mentally into the game as a defender and some – some defenders can't be hotheads all the time and they end up getting a PK. But like I said, solid performance from Man City. Um, I think Porto did all right. They could have created more chances. Obviously, they got one goal. But um, like I said, with Ferran Aguero and then Gondogan, who I've been really impressed with, uh, I think he stepped into a good role with Pep. It's, it was a really good performance by Man City. How about your take, Harshal? Yeah, I'll agree with what DJ said. It was as sort of like, you know, a clinical performance in Europe as you can get. City walked away with a 3-1 win. Uh, not really, there wasn't really too much rotation in terms of the first 11, but Ferran Torres came on, got a goal, which is good for his confidence. Um, obviously, 20-year-old winger who's come from Spain, still adapting to the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, as, as DJ said, it's, it's, uh, it was a good win to get them started up in the Champions League and they should be able to get out of the group, probably should win the group, I think. So, it's a good, it's a good start for Pep. Good. Let's turn our attention to the the Chelsea-Sevilla game, Uh, Harshel. That one was probably a more drab affair, right? There were 10 shots taken the entire game. Uh, Chelsea had four uh, on target, while as yet Sevilla only had two. Um, You got the sense that Sevilla played Sevilla ball, right? Um, uh, And my sense is that they both were probably satisfied with a, a zero zero result, taking the point, uh, realizing other folks in the group. What's your take on that, Harshell? Yeah, definitely. Both of both Lampard and uh, Emery were sort of okay with, you know, not sorry, not Emery, Julian Loptegoy were okay uh, going with a draw and, you know, not really, neither team sort of overexerted themselves for a win. And I'd say that that's a good thing from a Chelsea point of view because they've been, I mean, we've spoken about this multiple times that they've had a problem conceding goals. They've conceded 54 goals in the Premier League last season. They've started off poorly this season as well in terms of defensive uh, solidity. So it looks like he's Lampard's tweaked his tactics or he's basically going for the safety first approach in that sense. And we we will talk about that a little more when we come to the United game and that analysis as well because it was similar there. So it looked like he'd gone for that approach as well, where he wanted to make sure that Chelsea didn't concede first before trying to see if they could score. And that's basically what happened, where Chelsea didn't really threaten too much, but at the same time, they didn't allow Sevilla to threaten uh, their goal too much as well. Uh, I thought a couple of the decisions were a little baffling. He played Mason Mount on the left, 
and Pulisic on the right, which was sort of out of position for both of them. Um, I would have thought that with like a 35-year-old right back that Sevilla have, Jesus Navas plays right back now for Sevilla, that you would have targeted him with someone like Pulisic, who's a speedy winger. But uh, it 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 was what I mean. It is what it is, and it worked out in terms of them getting a point. But yeah, there there's still some decisions which Lampard might need to work on, or, or maybe try and get right in that sense. But it'll be it was good from a Chelsea fan point of view that they didn't concede. Well, and I will say, Harshal, I mean, Sevilla had 57% of possession. Uh, and, you know, their attacks came more from the left side at 48% uh, of attacks from the flanks. While Jeff for Chelsea, they were 77%. So seeing that Pulisic uh, impact um, is pretty considerable there. I, I have to tell you, I am, I'm scratching my head a little bit, and, and this is going to be a common theme here. How much did Chelsea spend in the off season? And they're they only have possession forty three percent against Sevilla, which to me is is a bit of a head scratcher. And um, you know, I, I guess we're going to get into this a little more later. But zero zero. So the um, the English Premier League teams ended up uh, winning three and tying one, uh, which is a very respectable outcome. Um, why don't we go ahead and, and, and turn our attention to some of the P- Premier League matches. And we had two Davids really kind of going off on each other on um, Friday before the uh, the weekend started. So those of us in the U.S., we started up our holiday a little bit early. Um, why don't you walk us through the Aston Villa Leeds game, Marshall? I will say this. It's not been a boring watch whenever I've watched Leeds this season. I mean, it doesn't matter who they've played. Every Leeds match that I've watched, and I, and I haven't watched every game. I think they've played six. I've probably seen four, I think. But all of them have been super entertaining. And they've become quickly become one of my favorite teams. Even though, like, I'm, as a Man United fan, Leeds are historically one of United's biggest rivals. But there's just so much goodwill and there's so much um, good that's happening around the club, in, both on the pitch and off the pitch, that you just feel like watching them. And it was... The same thing um, at Villa Park on Friday as well, because I mean Villa came into the game in good form. They were towards the, they they they'd won all of their games. Um, they they managed to put together an attacking unit which is looking really dangerous. Ollie Watkins, Jack Grealish, uh, Ross Barkley, um, John McGinn from midfield as well. So it it looked like they they you know they they managed to get away from that relegation struggle that they had last season and they, they could be a credible mid-table threat. And I'm not saying that that won't be the case this season, that there's obviously a long way to go. But Leeds absolutely demolished them, especially in the second half. I mean, one stat that's been doing the rounds on social media, which completely blows my mind, Leeds had 19 shots from inside the penalty area in that game. And 14 of those shots were from that central area from where shots, you know, if you look at the analytics, those that those are the areas from where shots taken are most dangerous. They had 14 shots from that area in the penalty in the penalty area and 19 shots overall. I mean, that just boggles your mind and that tells you how effective they were in terms of attacking. And another thing which I find super interesting with Bielsa is how he's able to um, sort of remodel players or, or play players in positions which they may not be familiar with but still get Premier League level performances out of them. He lost Calvin Phillips to injury, who's arguably the one player in that lead squad who doesn't have a replacement or backup. He played Pascal Stuick, who is a centre-back at defensive midfield in that game. 
Stoic picked up a yellow card, I think, within the first five minutes, and he was subbed off within 21 minutes. And uh, the Elsa brought on Jamie Shackleton, who's 22, 23 years old, to play that role, and he played it brilliantly. Luke Ayling, who's a right back, played at centre half. Stuart Dallas, who's a central midfielder who has played left back for most of last season, played a right back this game. Edgegen Alioski, who's an attacking midfielder, wears the number 10, played a left back. Rodrigo, who they signed for 30 million from Valencia, who's a striker for Spain, he starts for Spain as striker, has played as attacking midfielder slash central midfielder for Leeds this season. He's not played up front because Patrick Bamford's playing up front. And I mean, when you listen to all of that, you think, how are they doing so well? And that just tells you how good the coaching setup is, how good Bielsa is at transmitting his message, at telling the guys what they need to do on the pitch. And then they go out and do it because there's 100% belief in his methods. And I mean, it's just superb. DJ, help us figure this out. Because how is it that a squad that's had a few additions, Premier League, some continental, but mostly championship, players playing out of position, their star home signing out. How are they doing what how does this work in in the in like how does this pass the eye test in in real soccer hardball? Yeah, I think obviously like Harshaw said, it starts with the coaching. Obviously, um, if anybody hasn't seen watch the Leeds documentary, but you see kind of what his coaching is like and the culture environment he creates for his players is is crazy. And then I'd say second thing is the players. Uh, I think one thing if people didn't notice was Benford missed a clear opportunity, I think, in the first half. And in the second half scores a hat trick. And so that just shows their determination and mentality moving forward. Even though they're, you know, this, they're moving up to Premier League, they have no fear against any other team. And then obviously I think, like I said, with the freedom with them and the attacking half that the coach gives them and how effective they are is they're unstoppable. And I think that's just what they've done this whole season is they just – had nothing to lose and they're just running at teams and giving them all that they have and showing up. And they're honestly a top quality side. It's exciting to watch them every week. I got to tell you, it's like watching the attack of the zombies when they hit these, the fast breaks in, in fast forward mode, because um, you, the amount of goals they had, the shots they had, you mentioned 19 in the penalty area. There were 26 total in the game versus Aston Villas. Right. And you say, well, Maybe they, they were hitting some low-quality shots outside of the penalty box, but they only took seven of those 26 from outside. So I just – it it confounds me. I will tell you that I wonder out loud now that how Chelsea spends $200 million, um, in transfer fees and how Leeds is able to come together. And frankly, it's given me hope for football again, where it's not just all about the money. Right. Because I, you know, to me in the back of my mind, what I still hear is on any given day, if a poor team really gets up and and excited about a game, they could tie or beat nearly anybody. Right. Maybe it's rainy conditions are poor or whatever, but can they do it over the entire season? And I just think that watching these first six games, you start to get the sense um, Leeds is not going to be worried about relegation. Is it mid-table? Is it Europa? I guess time will tell. And frankly, I think the injuries are going to be a large determinant of that because they just don't have a whole lot of depth. But if they can move midfielders from one place to another and still get great performance out of them, well, well hats off. So um, I must admit I've become There's a... just uh, one thing I'd like to say that, I mean, sure. it's not like Leeds didn't spend in the summer. They spent almost... 
a hundred million or so, if I remember correctly. And they've not really sold too many. So I mean, in terms of net spend, they did spend close to a hundred million. So it's not as much of like a rags to riches story as such. But I mean, I, your wider point does hold that it's it's not like they went out and splurged on top level quality or they bought someone for like fifty, sixty million. They bought players in. I mean, they broke their transfer record. I think. If not just the one time, I think they might have broken it twice. I'm not sure. Uh, Rodrigo definitely was their record purchase, but they might have broken it before as well. But uh, it's also because of the fact that Bielsa has been at the helm now for what? This is his third season, and the majority of the team that is there has been there with him, right, in the championship. So they know his methods. They know how he wants to play. They know how, like, his, what his demands are. So that that familiarity and that the time you need to coach a team. Is very important, and that's what is being shown here. I well, think. I hear that, Harshal. Here's the question: Would Rodrigo be on Man United's, Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Tottenham's uh, starting eleven? No, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. no way. That's, that's apples that's, and orangutans. It's they they bought four or five players, and and Man United is is feeling bad because they missed Jaden Sancho, which is a huge. Hugely unfortunate, but then that one player represents nearly all of Leeds' Leeds um, transfer budget this last year. So I just I love the fact that they're able to, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but in a, in a island of misfit toys, where they're able to pick it up, and somehow Bielsa is able to put it all together and compete against Liverpool. And compete against Man City, right? <laughs> where, where it seems like Klopp and Pep are just happy to get out with what they got, right? I mean, winning by one goal and a tie. I'm so I'm so pleased that this is um, this is happening because I think there's hope for parity after all. Um, I guess let's just you want to go from from uh, one opposite extreme to another. Uh, DJ, help us break down <laughs> that Chelsea Man United match. Uh, let's see. Let me let me grab my pillow real quick so I can make the sleep. Um, yeah, man. Boring game. Uh, disappointed kind of more with with Chelsea. Honestly, I expected more out of them with Frank Lampard and and the quality that they have, especially with Pulisic and the other guys. You know, it was just a boring game. You know, the teams fought back and forth a lot. Um, didn't really see much attacking wise. Um, I think, like you said, I think Chelsea kind of sat back as they were trying to protect and not lose the game, um, which I give credit to Frank Lampard because the last you know, couple of seasons, that's been their big problem is defensive mistakes, individual defensive mistakes. And it's kind of led them to lose a lot of games that they could have won. But um, yeah, boring game. Uh, I'm sure other people watching it were super bored. I expected more out of Chelsea and uh, Manu just played all right for me. How about, how about your take, Arshel? Yeah, I mean, it was boring because you expect when two teams towards the top end of the table meet that there'd be a bit more attacking action. But I I can't say I'm surprised in the sense that because, again, as DJ said, as we said earlier, Chelsea have had an issue conceding goals. And, I mean, if you look at their games against United last season, they came to Old Trafford on the first day of last season, tried to play a high sort of, you know, octane attacking football, possession football, and got hammered 4-0 on the counter-attack. United beat them three times last season. Out of the four times that Man United and Chelsea played last year, they beat them thrice. And the only time Frank Lampard won last year was in the FA Cup semi when he tightened things up and didn't allow United space on the break. So the moment you saw the team sheet that, I mean, an hour before the game yesterday when Chelsea lined up uh, with a back three, 
it was clear that he wanted to sort of limit those spaces in behind with Daniel James or Rashford to run onto for Fernandes to sort of play the balls into. So, um, I mean, I, I sort of expected it from Chelsea and from United's part. I mean, this has always been the problem for United under Solskjaer, where they've struggled to ba- break down teams who sit deep. I mean, and again, they've not. So United haven't won a home game for the last four or five games, I think, stretching back to last season. Um, whereas they're on a club record, I think, 10 away game streak, uh, win streak, which tells you again that against teams that sort of don't give Solskjaer the space to counter-attack, he's, he's struggled. And that's what happened here as well. So United need to figure out a way to, I mean, he needs to figure out a way to coach attacking patterns or to just get those guys playing in a way where they can break down deep defensive blocks. Because against teams which give them space, they're brilliant. We've seen that against... PSG, we saw that against multiple teams last season. So it was boring, but I can't say I'm too surprised. Yeah. You know, I what I can't get over is they dropped 200 million on transfers, of which 22 went to Mindy. And Mindy, in my opinion, was the one that won, is, is what kept them out of trouble um, uh, yesterday. So I think that Mindy, the Mindy transfer was really what what saved them. And I don't know what they spent the rest of the money on because they had one shot on goal. Right. And I know it's, it takes time for, um, for players to bet in, but we're six, six matches into it. And, you know, they've done a decent job in terms of uh, scoring goals. I think they've got the third, third most in the league, third or fourth. So I think there's some, there's some opportunity there, but I get the sense there's just not a ruthlessness. And, I'd actually like, if you're going to change things and experiment a little bit, I'd love to see um, Giroud get some minutes in there and, and show those youngsters what ruthlessness can, can really be like. Um, DJ, what, what's your take on kind of that whole, uh, just a lot of pl- new players coming in and trying to settle in? What's that, what's that like in the locker room and what's that like on the pitch? Yeah, I think it's like you said, like it's a transition period for players. It's, for some, it's tough. For some, it's easier. I think they have to figure out what their role is as a team and what they're going to play in on, on this team and what they're going to do. You know, some of them may be coming from starting all the games to, you know, coming off the bench and that's their role. And some people have to adapt to that. Obviously, coming to the Premier League is not an easy task if you choose to come to any other league, you know. Um, but yeah, I think it's, as an environment and culture, each player has to sit down and, and kind of think about what they what their role is and what the coach is asking of them. I think one of the things I was also disappointed was um, I was excited to see the outside back matchup. But, you know, you got Juan Bissaka, Chilwell and James and Shaw. Um, I kind of wanted to see more of that, you know, and that's kind of why I was expecting a little bit more. But on the other hand, after seeing how they played, like Harshaw said, a 0-0 is kind of sufficient as to how they're moving forward. Right. Um, so if you're the owner of the club and you have a zero, zero score midweek and you have the, uh, the score you have on the weekend, I wonder if you feel like you're getting your money's worth or not. So, um, time will tell, uh, on that at some point, the, va- the quality is going to show, um, and let's hope it shows at the right time. Uh, if you're a Chelsea fan, um, Harshell, walk us through the Liverpool Sheffield match. Yeah. Uh, I will say that. Sheffield United were much better than they've been in recent weeks. And whether that's a product of the fact that, you know, we're six weeks in, they've had obviously more time on the training ground to build up fitness, to build up their their defensive and attacking patterns and all of that. 
or whether it was just maybe a little bit more motivation that they're playing against Liverpool. I think it was a bit of both. Uh, but uh, they were much better than they've been in last in the last few weeks, and that should give them hope because um, they've what they've only picked up a point so far. So uh, or maybe not. I mean, the fact that they've not picked up, yeah, they have picked up a point. They've not picked up any win so far. This is the one draw against Fulham last week. So it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's not really a good sort of sight to watch from a football fan in the sense that we were all so wrapped up in the Sheffield United story last season, where they almost made Europa League and obviously first season in the Premier League under under Chris uh, Wilder, and he's done such a fantastic job with them. And it might be a bit of second season syndrome. But I think they might still have enough to maybe get away from relegation on the basis of this uh, this performance. In terms of Liverpool, they needed to make changes. Obviously, Van Dijk is out, so we're going to see a lot of Fabinho at centre back. But Thiago was out as well, so Klopp actually moved to a four-two-three-one, which he's not really played too much. So along with that Fab three that you have of Mane, Salah, and Firmino, he brought Diogo Jota in as well. Um, the new signing from Wolves, and he scored the winner. And Bull, uh, I mean, the thing is that Sheffield United did threaten Liverpool quite a bit, especially in the second half. But Liverpool's quality shone through, uh, and this was just a good clinical win for for the home team. But I think that if I mean, I, I think Sheffield United can take something from this game in terms of the fact that they they were able to give Liverpool a bit of a uh, some trouble and that the effort that they put in could help the games going forward against you know some of the lower league uh, teams in the lower reaches of the table. DJ was was that a was that a legit PK or not? Um, how Sheffield got their goal? Uh, I didn't think so. I thought it was right on the line. You could say right outside yeah. the box. Um, I think for me, like it's been so frustrating seeing VAR um, in the Premier League. Because honestly, I feel like Premier League is the only league that can't get it right. Um, I saw something on Twitter the other day with the Australian League and how they use VAR and how the refs were talking and they had the refs mic'd up. And it was crazy to see how much more fluent and easy it was for them to make decisions. But here in the Premier League, it's, I don't know, they're under pressure or something and, and they're just making bad calls out here. But I think it was a good reaction by Liverpool. We just keep going on with it. I've been actually really impressed with, with Diego Jota. Um, I think he's played excellent since he's been there, and, and I'm really impressed to see where he's going to be as he moves forward. I think it was rare to see Firmino score because he usually doesn't score yeah. uh, at home. So I was ex- I was happy for him about that. That's great. All right. Well, so let's turn our attention to some of the uh, the games um, to watch uh, in the Premier League next weekend. Um, Harshal, what's your take on the Man United Arsenal game? Now, this is going to depend on how Arteta sets up in the sense that if he, I don't think he will, but if he tries to play a City sort of game where Arsenal try to keep the ball and hog possession, that could play right into United's hands. As we've all spoken already, good on the counter-attack, can exploit those spaces well. But we've seen that Arteta is also not as dogmatic as Pep. He does adapt to the opposition. So it could be another close-run thing where another you know you need a moment of quality which is what you needed in that Chelsea game which uh, in the Chelsea United game which we didn't get and it could be a similar thing where there's one moment of quality or or mistake that uh, that makes the difference so I I worry a little bit DJ because uh, this could easily be two teams that are uh, low block and they just kick the ball into the middle of the field and nobody does anything about it 
because they're sitting back so defensively. What's your take on how this Man United Arsenal game is going to come? And do you think there could be any surprises? Yeah, I think I think like like Arsenal said, like it could be you know just a zero zero. Both teams sit. Um, but honestly, I think I have a little bit more faith in Arteta. You know, the Arsenal way and him being under Pep, having that influence of of trying to play. So um, it is kind of shaky to see where Arsenal will be. Um, you know, as a team, I don't think they performed as well as they they really could with the players they have. Um, but honestly, yeah, I don't know. Maybe one zero menu. Menu win in this game, you know, with Rashford. I think he's been really good and attacking power. They have a front Martial as well. It's just been crazy. Do you think Pepe is the real deal or not? Uh, for me right now, no. For me, I need to see some more consistency. How about where where should Aubameyang play? Should he play on the left or should he play uh, in the center? I think that's a tough one. Aubameyang in the left or center, man. Um I don't know. I think it depends on the way that the, the lineups are set. Obviously, on the left, he can cut in, and he's very dangerous. And obviously, he uses his pace down the down the side as well. Um, you can honestly almost play him on the right, too. Just use his pace to go down the line and create chances. But I think he's more comfortable in the center because that's, uh, that's where he was with Borussia. And in the center, he can go left, right, or come to the ball or go in behind. So I think uh, if he plays in the center, it's way, it's way harder to defend the bombing. I think out wide, you can try to force him to one in line as an outside back or something like that. So, yeah, I think as a center, maybe he's probably the better position for him. All right. Well, I am hopeful that they get those questions sorted out because it seems like Arteta is, is, is making all the right moves. Uh, so, um, Harshal, let's turn our attention to the Leeds Leicester, um, match. What's your take on that? This could be another exciting game. I mean, I think we can all probably take for granted the fact that any, every Leeds game is going to be super exciting this season, just because of the way they play. Uh, Leicester, have been a bit up and down this season. Obviously, they had that highlight sort of 5-1 win over City, which was a statement win in that sense. They managed to score five against uh, City. Three of them were penalties, but then again, those were penalties, sort of legit penalties in the sense, not like handballs where there were contentious decisions. There were three separate fouls by three separate City defenders in the box to give those penalties away. So that tactic worked really well. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a similar variation of, you know, if it's a similar sort of thing that Rogers tries to go for against Leeds because they're, again, a very high-octane, high-energy team. So it might make sense to sit back against them, try to soak up that pressure and then take advantage of the spaces that they leave at times when they commit on the attack because they commit and they, like, you know, with a capital C when they attack. And We've all seen that there's, there's that clip doing the rounds on social media where they were 3-0 up against Villa and they had, they had a counter-attack on the 93rd, 94th minute and there were seven Leeds players attacking and in the Villa defensive third, right? So there is a chance for Leicester to maybe take advantage of those uh, spaces if they sit back. But at the same time, Leeds have been in such great form that you, you never know. They might just be able to blow Leicester away as well. Interesting. So, DJ, I want to get back to a point because we talked a fair bit about Juan Bissaka and out, outside backs. And curious to kind of get your take on how the position is evolving. Is it an evolution? Is it a revolution in the last three or four years? You know, you play the position. What are, what are things that you're seeing in the Premier League? And then what are things that you're actually using and doing on the pitch? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think outside back position is kind of like a evolution, you know. I kind of went through it myself. Uh, I grew up to I was about 16 playing attacking mid. And then once I turned 16, was turned to outside back. Um, so I think that kind of shows a lot of it. I think the outside back position is turning more almost into a winger, inverted winger, I guess you could say. It's all about attacking and less about defending, honestly, unless you have – on one hand, you have Trent Alexander-Arnold. Attacking-wise, is crazy, but, you know, I could say sometimes he struggles defensively, but then you have Wambasaka, who's a powerful machine who can defend, but going forward, he struggles a little bit. So it can go either way, but I think, honestly, winger, winger and outside back is almost coming into uh, basically one position, I, don't even, I guess you could say in that sense. You know, because when the outside back goes forward, if I overlap, then the winger has to hold my position and vice versa. So I think it's an evolution watching, you know, the different systems and styles. Like, obviously, with Pep, you have, you know, inverted outside backs with Kyle Walker playing in the pockets behind lines. And then you have other teams where, where the outside back is going down the line the whole time and the winger's stuck inside. So I think it's, it's kind of exciting to see the outside back position, you know, evolve, like you said, and have, you know, me as an outside back, be able to go forward and go and score goals as a winger is, is crazy to think about. You know, before back in the day, it was you're a defender, you stay back here, and that's it. What are the folks of outside uh, attacking backs that you keep an eye on, and which one are some really strong defending? Give, and then give me the hardest one, which is best combos. Best combos? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, so – most exciting ones, I think, in the Premier League, obviously, are Liverpool's outside backs, you know, with Trent and Robertson. They've been doing this the last couple of seasons. They've been consistent with it. You know, highest assist, crazy numbers. If you look at their numbers, um, they're kind of like the pure example of the evolution of the outside backs. Obviously, I've been starting to watch Leeds outside backs. Obviously, with their system, I'm starting to love their system and their culture there. So I think that's great. Um, obviously, a little bit older guys I used to watch would probably be the best for me would be Danny Alves, Jordi Alba, Marcelo. Um, I think those are some of the top guys that I would say that I looked up to and looked how they played. Um, best combos, that's kind of tough. Oh, also one more that's exciting is, is Davies. You know, watching him come from MLS playing as a winger to the top level being an outside back. And his transition was only a matter of months, if you think about it. And he's already got a couple of trophies at 19 years old. So <laughs> it's kind of crazy seeing that. Um yeah, my favorite outside back, obviously, was, was Danny Alves. I love the way he played attacking and defensively. I thought he was very good. Um, Marcelo, on the other hand, was a little bit more attacking. I think he kind of showed a little bit defensively. Uh, Wan-Bissaka, though, I think, is one of the top outside backs defensively. Um, yeah. I think it's it could be exciting to watch him grow as a player. You know, I think it's easier to grow learning how to attack rather than it is to defend. Yeah. So, you know, when you got somebody like Obama running at you, it's it's hard. Arshel, what's your take on the evolution of the position? Yeah, as DJ says, fullbacks have to do a lot more than just defend nowadays. I mean, it's it's a lot to do with how the game has evolved tactically, where because of the way um, teams set up nowadays, a lot of the times you'll find that the space, that, that space is available out wide and that the fullbacks are the most... Um, sort of well positioned to take advantage of that and that's how the game has gone you know that's why uh, Alexander Arnold and Robertson are able to get up the wing and swing crosses in or just be involved that much in attacking play because that's where space is nowadays look at uh, and that's also another reason why you've seen so many wingers 
push as fullbacks and not just at you know the, towards the end of their careers we saw antonio valencia do that for man united for example jesus navas is doing that for uh, sevilla as i mentioned previous, uh, previously but alfonso davies who's 19 he got converted from a winger for vancouver in the mls to uh, a left back for bayern munich and he was i mean people have been talking about him being one of the best left backs in the world already i don't think he's there yet but he was certainly absolutely brilliant when in that run to the champions league that's causing a lot of attacking issues for united that's the reason that a, a major reason why united's attacking players focus down the left is because there's no real outlet on the right because they don't have a right winger that's why they were moving for sancho in the summer and van der sar is not really an attacking force so i mean obviously again it's something that you can learn as dj said it's much easier to learn the attacking side of things than the defensive side so there's hope that he can pick that up but uh that also shows you how you would need to be a complete full back you can't just be defensive in today's game i got you well good well harshel dj thank you so much for your time today uh we are sponsored by the epl prospectus a 280 page guide of the upcoming season created by a team of 25 plus writers and designers moneyball for football analytics plus eye candy available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on amazon For now, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao ciao.